Several years ago, I read a story that I want to share with you today. It was once announced the devil was going out of business and would offer all his tools for sale to whoever would pay his price. On the night of the sale, his tools were all attractively displayed, and a bad-looking lot they were. Malice, hatred, envy, jealousy, sensuality, and deceit, and all the other implements of evil were spread out, each marked with its price. Apart from the rest lay a harmless-looking wedge-shaped tool, much worn and priced higher than any of the rest. Someone asked the devil what it was, and he said, That's discouragement. Why do you have it priced so high, they asked. Because it's more useful to me than any of the others. With it, I can pry open doors that are tightly bolted against the others. Then once inside, I can use any of the other tools that suit me best. It is so much worn because I use it with nearly everybody. And as very few people yet know that it belongs to me. Hardly needs to be added that the devil's price for discouragement was so high that it was never, never sold. He still owns it, and he still uses it today. Discouragement is something that I think most are familiar with. And there are several characteristics of discouragement that make it such a potent weapon for our enemy. One is that it's universal. I feel safe in saying that all of us have experienced discouragement at one point in our lives. Now, if there's anyone that has completely avoided discouragement, young or old, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, Christian or non-Christian, pretty well everyone gets discouraged. It's reoccurring. Being discouraged once does not give you immunity to it. You can be discouraged over and over again. In fact, one of the unique things about discouragement is you can be discouraged by how often you get discouraged. There's no antibiotic that can be injected to give you immunity from discouragement. It's highly contagious. You can give someone discouragement through your discouragement. You can catch discouragement from someone else who's discouraged. And finally, discouragement kills our motivation. All we want to do when we're discouraged is quit. We want to quit whatever we're doing and we want to escape. Now, we try to escape in different ways. Naps, taking trips, watching TV, reading a book, going to the movies, eating, any number of other ways. But regardless of the way we use, all we really want to do is escape. Discouragement is a very real weapon that our enemy uses. And each of us will face it at some point in our lives. Today, we're going to look at the story of one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, And we're going to see that he was a prophet that understood discouragement. And we're going to learn from him how to defend ourselves against the weapon of discouragement. Open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And if all's right with the world, that should be on page 277 in your pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. First Kings 19 and 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life and he went to Beersheba. 
which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night in the place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and a strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, and the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard that, he wrapped his face in a mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, Go and return on your way in the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazazel, king over Syria. And you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola. You shall anoint as a prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The title of the message this morning is Defending Ourselves Against the Weapon of Discouragement. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. God, you are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we come with an awareness of what it is to be discouraged. God, we know the feeling, we know the draining effects, we know how hard it is to shake it off. God, there may well even be some in here this morning that are fighting this right at the moment. So God, as we look at your word today, we ask you to speak to us. We need you, God, to help us in this. We need your strength, we need your power, we need your grace, and we need your goodness to be at work in our lives. Let your Holy Spirit help us to lay aside the cares of life and focus just on you and on your word in this time. Let your Holy Spirit come and open our hearts and open our minds to receive your word. That it can go deep down and bring forth the fruit that you would like us to have. God, use this time today to strengthen your people. Use this time today to encourage your people. Use this time today to draw your people closer to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you once said. We love you, God, and we want your will in our lives. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the, this passage starts out with Ahab going to Jezebel and saying all that Elijah had done. 
So let me tell you what Elijah had done that has hacked off Jezebel so badly. Elijah was a prophet of God, and he was kind of the main prophet. And he had been hidden away for three and a half years, and there came a point where God told him to go and present himself to the people of Israel. So he gathered the prophets of Baal, the prophets of the groves, and he went to Mount Carmel, and they set, upon, they set out to have a, a contest to see which God was really God. And the, the, the deal was, each of them would build an altar, and they would put a sacrifice on it, and then they would pray to their God. And the God that answered by fire, that was the one true God, and everyone should just sort of bow down and worship that God. So Elijah let the prophets of Baal go first. And they built their altar, and they prayed to their God, and nothing happened. And then since nothing was happening, they began to jump and dance and cut themselves and do all kinds of other things to try to get their God's attention. And as they did, Elijah made fun of them. All right, he, he made fun of them to, to try to just make it worse and to point out how, how foolish it was for all the people of Israel to worship this God that could do nothing. And then after a period of time, Elijah said, it's my turn. He built an altar. He poured water over it. And then he knelt down and he prayed a very simple prayer. And God answered by fire. Fire came down from heaven, consumed the water, it consumed the sacrifice, and Elijah rose up, and he did what God had said to do. And he gathered the people, and they took the prophets of Baal, and they executed them. And then, all seemed to be going well. And then suddenly, this happens. Suddenly, Elijah gets a message from Jezebel that she is going to kill him. And this sends him into a tizzy. He flees, he runs, he prays for God to kill him. He is discouraged. He's given up. He has no motivation, he has no desires. He thinks he's, he's worthless and he can't accomplish anything. And so he gives up. And as I was studying this, what I, I noticed in the passage is that as Elijah listened to Jezebel, he got discouraged and it beat him down. But the longer the chapter went, the more he began to focus on God. And as he focused on God, he became encouraged and he finishes his race well. And what I thought about is that the same is true with us. You know, Jezebel was Elijah's or Elijah's enemy. She wanted him dead. She wanted to destroy him. And she spoke in a way to discourage him from serving the Lord. Well, we have an enemy. And he wants us dead. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy in our lives. He wants to beat us down and make us feel worthless and useless and of no value whatsoever. And when we listen to Him, guess what happens? We get discouraged. But as we focus on God, we begin to become encouraged. So the, the, way we, the main way we defend against discouragement is to focus on God Instead of listening to Satan. Now, how do we do that? In this passage, I think it shows us four, four ways. First, there's a question we need to answer. And then there are three ways that we focus on God. First, the question we have to answer. Why am I discouraged? We have to figure out what's going on. What has brought us to the place where we feel without motivation? What has brought us to the place that we have no, no desire, we, we feel useless and worthless? What has got us there? And I think there are several issues that can cause us to become discouraged. We should ask, am I physically or mentally exhausted? 
You know, when we're, we're tired, we are more susceptible to being discouraged than we are at any other time. Being tired physically, being tired mentally, it, it lowers our, our natural defenses and it helps us to become discouraged more easily. Also, I think when we're tired, we also can get discouraged because it's more difficult to focus on God. Now, I don't know how you are, but if I am really tired and I try to read my Bible, I don't get a whole lot out of it. I don't know about you, but there have been times when I was tired and I tried to pray and I, I fell asleep. Right? Woke up resting in the Lord, so to speak, you know. That, that happens and we don't connect with God. We don't focus with God. And the further we stay that, the longer we stay that way, the more discouraged we become. Am I, am I tired? Am I defeated by sin? Now, I want to make a balance here. Right? Because sin, we are, discouragement does not always come because of sin. It is possible to live for the Lord, do His will as Elijah did, and still end up discouraged. Right? So, discouragement does not always equal, I'm a dirty sinner. However, sin in the life of a believer is discouraging. Especially if it is important to you to live for God and to live a holy life. The more we try to live for the Lord and the more defeated we are by sin, the more discouraged we become. So am I defeated by sin? Do I have unmet or unrealistic expectations? Now, there are few things in life more discouraging than expecting something good only to have something bad follow. Right Now, sometimes our unmet expectations are our valid expectations and things just don't go the way we want. But sometimes our expectations are unrealistic. What we expect to happen is, is really not something that is likely to happen. And we have this great expectation of, of what will be. And then when it's not, it just it deflates us. It defeats us. And we get down. Do I feel ineffective? And, and I think this can go with unmet or unrealistic expectations. And probably they, they work together. But if I'm not seeing the results that I want or that I expect, I begin to wonder what's the point. Why try anymore? Right? I, I'm obviously not any good at this. I'm obviously not ever going to make it work right. I'm just, I just can't. This isn't something I'm able to do. And then a question, am I under a spiritual attack? As I mentioned in the, the story at the beginning, discouragement is a tool that Satan will use in the life of a believer. Right? And the reason is, Satan knows not every believer is going to give in to great sin. Right? Not every believer will embezzle from their company. Not every believer will cheat on their spouse. Not every believer will do all of these things. But Satan's great point and desire in life is not necessarily to get us to live in great sin. His main thing, if he can just get us to stop living for Jesus, that's a win in his book. And people that will not give in to sin will stop living for Jesus when they're discouraged. And so that is something he will use. So what was the issue with Elijah? Well, I think as we look at Elijah's story, we see that there are several things. Right? First, I want you to notice that Elijah had unmet and unrealistic expectations. Well, actually, first, he was under spiritual attack. We'll start there. It says in verse 2, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So what the gods do to me and more also... 
Let her not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Right? Here's what she said. I'm going to kill you. Right? I have every intention to kill you. Now, why did she want to kill him? Because she was wicked. She wanted to kill him because she was a pagan and an idolater. And Elijah had just had all of her priests to her false gods executed. It was under her command that the prophets of God had been killed. It was under her command that the temple of God had been neglected. She was an enemy. She was an adversary of righteousness, a tool of Satan. Elijah was facing a spiritual attack. Also... Elijah did have unmet or unrealistic expectations. Look at verse 4. He said, Then he went a day's journey in the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Now, I had never really thought much about the whole sentence that he spoke there until I was studying for this message. Normally, I had just focused on Elijah saying, Take my life. I mean, he's... He has given up. He's lost his motivation. He just says, God, kill me. The question is, why? What is the, what is the issue there? Notice what he says. It's enough. I am no better than my father's. And you think, okay, now, Elijah, and you think about all of the, the people of Israel. Elijah's actually like head and shoulders better than everybody else in the Old Testament. There are few people who love God as much as Elijah does in the Old Testament. There are few people who are as faithful to God in the Old Testament as Elijah was. And then I got to thinking, who did he mean by fathers? Who were the people he was referring to? Well, I don't think it was referring to just the general people of Israel. Elijah was the prophet. Right? He was the main spokesman for God to the people of Israel. When he was talking about his fathers... He wasn't talking about just Israel in general. He was talking about all of the other prophets that had gone before him. See, Israel had a long history of idolatry. Israel just was constantly going after one false god or another. And when they would go after a false god, God would send a prophet. And this prophet would preach to turn back to God and worship Him and keep the covenant that they had made. And every so often there would be a revival of bit and the people would do it, but that never lasted. It was never consistent. But then Elijah was on Mount Carmel. And he prayed. Fire from heaven came down. And all the people that saw that happen said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And then they rose up and they killed the prophets of Baal. And in Elijah's mind... Israel had finally turned a corner. Now from this point on, they were going to be faithful to the Lord. They were never again going to stray. Everything was going to straighten out and they were going to be the people of God that God intended for them to be. And in the midst of that great emotional and spiritual high, he gets a letter from the queen. I'm going to kill you. His expectation was that everybody would suddenly turn to God and they would live for God from that point on. And when that didn't happen, he felt worthless. He felt completely ineffective in his ministry, in his mission for God. And all of those things compounded upon him and they discouraged him to the point that he, he just wanted to die. 
He escaped by running away. He wanted to get out of life. He, he was he was done. And in life, I think one of the things that's hardest for us to understand is that sometimes discouragement doesn't necessarily happen in the what we might call the low points of our life. They come in the, the high points. Like Kelly and I were talking about this yesterday. When when Lizzie was born and, and everything kind of went sideways on us and we didn't know what to do, we didn't really get discouraged in the hospital. Right? We were we were aware that God was there and that God was working and everything was going, you know, that it was going. We were it never really sank in on us. And that time that was down and scary, we didn't really get discouraged. But now when we finally were released, and Lizzie was told that we could come home, and we came home, and, and on the way home she stopped breathing and turned blue on us. That was discouraging. right? In times when it seemed like everything was great, and suddenly something went south, that was discouraging. Many times in our life, we're going to be like Elijah. Things are going to be going great in our life. Job, our relationship with Christ, our marriage, our family, everything. And then suddenly there's going to be something that happens. Boom. We're just, it's just going to take the wind right out of us. And when that happens, we need to find out what is going on. Why are we discouraged? Do I, you know, I'm not a big preach and say, hey, take a nap kind of guy. Um, but I'll be honest with you, <laughs> there are times where Take a nap really is kind of what we need. You know, we have got so much to do, we just need to push on. It doesn't get any better through pushing on. A lot of times, we just kind of have to stop. Is there, is there sin that is defeating me? If there is, that's something I need to deal with. Right? Because the cycle that I'm going on isn't going to make it better. It's only going to get worse. Is it because I have unrealistic expectations? Maybe the way I think the world should work isn't really the way the world works at all. Maybe my unmet expectations are not because they're not going to happen, but because I'm not giving it enough time. Maybe things aren't as bad as I think they are, and I'm not nearly as ineffective as I feel that I am. Maybe it is just the enemy of our souls seeking to destroy our lives. If we're going to defend against the weapon of discouragement, we do have to focus on God instead of listen to Satan. But a part of that is finding out the reason I feel discouraged. Why do I feel the way that I feel? What is going on in my life? And after we find out the reason, then we need to focus God's work in our lives. Focus on God's work in my life. As Elijah is there, he is becoming very, well, I guess you'd say very Elijah-focused in his life. Right? I'm no better than my father's. My life is meaningless. God, just go ahead and take me. And if you've been discouraged, you know that that's kind of the way it goes. When we're discouraged, what do we tend to focus on? All the things that are wrong in our life. All the reasons we're down. All the reasons nothing is going the way that it should. We become very focused on us. We, we begin to be poor, pitiful us is almost the mindset that we get. Woe is me. Right? Like Elijah saying, I alone am left of your people. 
right? I'm the only one left, God, that's living for you. And that's kind of the way we tend to go. Nobody understands. Nobody else has ever felt this way. Nobody else has ever struggled with things like I'm struggling with. No one can help me. No one cares. It's just a, just terrible. Even God doesn't care. Right? Discouragement goes on long enough. We feel abandoned by God. We feel that He has left us and He's not hearing our prayers. He's not meeting with us in prayer. So what do we do? How do we get out of, out of that cycle? We have to focus on something else. We have to lift our eyes to God and focus on what He is doing in our lives. Because God had not abandoned Elijah. Elijah had given up and ran away, but God was not through with him. Look at what we see. As he lay there in verse 5. As he lay there and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on loaves and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he lay down. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, and he ate and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Here's Elijah. He's out there and he's, he's kind of given up on life and he's given up on serving the Lord and doing what God wants him to do. Meanwhile, God is actually sending an angel to him to feed him, to give him all of the food he needs. Food and water. Not just once, but twice. And then God supernaturally sustains him through that food for 40 days and 40 nights. He goes to meet with God. Right? Elijah was not even remotely thinking about God. But God had not given up thinking about Elijah. Elijah was not thinking about serving God. But God had not given up taking care of Elijah. He was at work in Elijah's life in this moment of Elijah's deep, deep discouragement. And what's true with Elijah is true of us. Even in the dark times, God is there. And God is at work. And what we have to do is we have to choose to focus on something other than ourselves. We have to choose to focus on something other than our problems. I read a book by a guy named Stu Weber called Spirit Warriors. And he called that thinking where we begin to focus on ourselves and get into that poor, pitiful me mindset. He called it stinking thinking. Right? Because it starts to stink because all we're thinking about is us and all that's wrong. And I, again, I don't know how you are, but I'll say for me. When I get into that mindset, it doesn't just work its way out. Once I start on poor, pitiful Stacy. One thing leads to another. Right? It doesn't matter what I'm upset by today. Then the more I think about it, the more things I can find that aren't right. The more things I can find that aren't going the way that I want them. And it becomes this never-ending cycle. Everything is wrong. Nothing is right. Woe is me. And the only way, it, it doesn't just end on its own. I don't just come to the end and be like, well... I guess that's the end of my complaints. I guess I better straighten up and fly right now. There is no end to the complaints. There is no end to the poor pitiful me. If I want to get out of stinking thinking, I have to choose to change what I'm thinking 
about. I have to choose to change my focus. To go from thinking about all that I perceive is wrong and begin to think about what God is doing in my life. Because if you're a child of God, He will never leave you nor forsake you. There is never a time that God is not at work in your life. Right? And with Elijah, there was God feeding him and sustaining him. It wasn't that long ago that Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven. Right? That's pretty big. Right? God had been at work in Elijah's life for the last three and a half years in all kinds of ways. And God had not given up on him if he would just see it. It's the same with us. God is there. God is at work. If we will just begin to focus on what he's doing in our lives and in our situations. If we want to stop listening to Satan and focus on God, we must focus on God's work in our lives. Secondly, we have to focus on God's perspective. Right? One of the things I've found in discouragement with my life is that the way I see things isn't necessarily the way that it is. Right? Just because I think everything is falling apart doesn't mean things really are falling apart. Right? With Elijah, Elijah, here's, what, here's the way Elijah saw everything in verse 10. He said to God, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Elijah's still very focused on Elijah. And at this point, Elijah's perspective is basically, he's the only believer left. Every other prophet that has ever lived has been murdered at this point, and it's just him. And the wording is not just the prophets, but there aren't even really any people left who want to live for God. That they've all converted to Baal. They've all gone away. And the ones that didn't, they've all dead. And, and he's, he's just him. He's the only one left. And he repeats this in verse 14. And I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Now that's the way Elijah felt the world was. That's his perspective. But notice how God responds. Notice what's really going on in verse 13, or I'm sorry, 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazazel, king of Syria. You shall anoint Jehu, uh, king over Israel. And Elisha, you shall anoint a prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazazel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Here's what God's saying to him. The work of God really isn't dependent on you, Elijah. It's dependent on me. My will and my one is, is still going to happen. I'm still going to, to do what needs to be done. Right? After you're gone off the scene... I still am going to have other servants who are going to be living for me and doing my will. You're not the only one. The work of God doesn't depend solely on you. It depends more on me. I'm still going to be at work in the world. But then look at this. Verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 18. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel... 
all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So here's Elijah. I'm the only one left. And God says, I'm still going to do my will. I'm still going to be at work in the world. And by the way, no, you're not the only one left. There are 7,000. And this I don't think this 7,000 includes the ones that were converted or turned back to God on top of Mount Carmel. I think this was 7,000 that had never worshipped Baal. So all throughout Israel, there were thousands of people who were still loving God, still serving God, still not going after Baal. Elijah was looking from his perspective and it was doom and gloom and everything is bad. But from God's perspective, he had everything well in hand. That's what we've got to learn to do. Our perspective is always going to be skewed. Our perspective is always going to be limited. But when we see things from God's perspective, it it helps us to get up out of the funk. It helps us to be encouraged. Let me show you my favorite passage on this. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, page 721 in your pew Bibles. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. In Zechariah, there was a man named Zerubbabel who had been assigned by God the task of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. He was the governor of Judah, and it was a pretty big task that he was assigned to do. And there came a point in the process of trying to build it that Zerubbabel began to think there's just no way it can be done. That what God wants done is impossible. There aren't enough people who still love God. There's not enough money to get the stuff. There's just no way to do it. And he's looking at it from his perspective, seeing the greatness of the size of the task, and then God sends him this message. So God answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. So, from Zerubbabel's perspective, it was impossible. He couldn't do it. From God's perspective, God was going to make sure he could do it. God was going to, to make sure it could happen, because in the end it was never about Zerubbabel's abilities. It was always about God's abilities, God's power. God could make sure that Zerubbabel could do what God wanted him to do. Right? And in our lives, we're, we're going to be like Zerubbabel at times, when we feel ineffective. I just, I can't. I'm not able. It doesn't matter how hard I try, I can't overcome this sin. I can't come up out of this problem. I can't fix this. I can't do that. And God says, not by your might, nor by your strength, but by me. Trust me. That's God's perspective. But even beyond that, I love this next part. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and he shall also finish it. Then you will know, the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And look at this part right here, verse 10, the very first. Who has despised the day of small things? And here's what was going on. Zerubbabel had laid the foundation. 
And that was all they had gotten done. That's all they could get done. Before he could move beyond the foundation, he was discouraged. Before they could move beyond that to the big part of it, he began to to give up, to feel that it couldn't be done. And notice how God sees it. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. See, Zerubbabel had worked years just to get the foundation done. And he looked at the foundation and he said, In all the time I've worked and in all the effort I've put forth, that is all I've accomplished, not much. And God said, I rejoice to see a plumb line in your hand. I, I am glad to see somebody's working. I don't despise the small steps you're taking. I'm just glad somebody is trusting me and somebody is doing my will. I rejoice to see it. In our lives, we are going to be like Zerubbabel. We're going to look and say, I can't believe I'm not doing any better than this. And God says, but I'm glad you're even trying. But we're going to say, I can't believe I'm still struggling with this sin. And God's going to say, but I'm glad you're still struggling. I'm glad you haven't just given into it. We're going to say, I can't believe my, my marriage is still having problems. And God's going to say, I'm glad you haven't given up on it yet. From our perspective, we're often going to see the little things and be like, I can't believe that's all that there is. But from God's perspective, He's saying, I am so glad you are still at work. I'm so glad you haven't given up. I'm so glad you're still at work at doing this. When we look at things from our perspective, we are often going, again, just to turn inward and pour pitiful us. But when we can lift up our eyes and see things from God's perspective, God sees things differently than we do. Let me show you a, a quote. Oh, I didn't. I thought I, I didn't put it on there. Let me read you a quote. I meant to put it on the screen. I didn't do it. That I, I read as I was studying this. Let's see if I can find it. Hmm. Here it is. When you fear or fail. Don't be harder on yourself than God is. I like that. When you fear or fail, don't be harder on yourself than God is. I love that. That's what we're often going to do. Our perspective. How many times are we our own worst critics? How many times are we our own worst enemies on this? And yet God's perspective is so very different. If we want to stop listening to Satan, we need to focus on God's perspective to see what God says about our situation. And we are almost always going to find his perspective is so very different than ours. And then finally, focus on connecting with God. Go ahead and turn back to 1 Kings 19. You know, one of the things that happens when we get discouraged and we turn inward is that our our time with God begins to suffer. Our connection to God begins to suffer. And in all of this time, Elijah, I think he's 
been thinking about the fact that God was there and God was at work, but he wasn't seeing God working the way he wanted. And even though Elijah may have been praying, he really wasn't talking to God. He was, and if you'll forgive me for saying it this way, he was whining to God about all that was wrong in his life. And again, maybe you're different, but in my life, when I get discouraged, I find that my prayers often go from being God is great to being, Oh Lord, why aren't you doing more for me? They become very self-centered, very whiny. And in that time, we're really not connecting to God. All we're really doing is just sort of complaining. All we're really doing, we're not even really asking God to change the situation or to make a difference in our lives. We're just, we're just whining. And our connection with God begins to suffer in that time. And Elijah's time with God began to suffer too. And so God has him to, to go out on the mountain. And we, you know, the story we read it, there's a, a great wind that breaks the rocks, but God wasn't in that. And then there was a fire and an earthquake, and God wasn't in that. But then there was a still, small voice. And that's where God was, and God began to speak to him, connect with him. And, and there's a couple of things about this that, that I think are important to see. One is, in our times of discouragement, we often look for God to do the, the extraordinary, right? The the earthquake, the fire, the wind that breaks the rocks apart. And yet God wants to just be in our lives in that ordinary, still, small voice. Just to remind us that He's still there. He, he hasn't given up and He hasn't left us. I think a, another thing that I want us to see that is so important is that God is seeking us out. It wasn't Elijah's idea to go out and wait for God. It was God. It was God who initiated contact with Elijah. And in our times of discouragement, God is still reaching out to us. He is still trying to connect with us and get us to connect with Him. To, to get there and be with Him and enjoy His presence and just rest in Him and trust Him. And We have to follow that. We have to, to go through. And I think there's an element in our lives in this time where we have to to desire God for God. Right? Not, not desire God for what He can do for us. Not desire God because He can fix our situation. But just desire God because He is good. He is worthy. He loves me. He has saved me. Just a, a desire to be with God. Because again, all Satan really wants from discouraging us is that we would stop Serving the Lord. And if he can interrupt our connection with God, he's going to interrupt our service to God. And regardless of whether or not we go into sin or we just sit and never read our Bibles and pray and go to church and never do anything to connect with God, he still wins. Because all he wants is for us to just not be faithful to God anymore. And if we want to stop listening to Satan, we must focus on a connection with God. We must focus on reconnecting with God. We must learn to just spend time with Him and be there in His presence. And at times, I'll be honest, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But we need to do it anyway. Because we will never... 
never defend ourselves against the weapon of discouragement if we lose our connection to God. Because you know what happens? That becomes a source of discouragement on top of everything else. So then there's all of this stuff that's not right that's caused me to be discouraged. And now, I just don't feel like my relationship with God is as good as it used to be. And it doesn't seem I can do anything to fix it. And it just piles on and we sink deeper. We have to focus on that connection with God. And I want to close this morning with just some practical things. right? Because we have to learn... To focus on God instead of listening to Satan. And so, here's some ways to do that. One, make a list of what God is doing or has done in your life. And if you're discouraged today, and you want to focus on God's work in your life, make a list of what God has done. What has God done in your life this year? What has God done in your life this month? What has God done in your life this week? What is God actively doing right now? And if you begin to focus on that, you'll find that. You will see things He is doing in your life. And the more you begin to count those, the more you begin to be aware of those, the more you begin to focus on God's work in your life and not listening to Satan anymore. Secondly, celebrate the victories in your life. You may have failed. But I bet you've won some things. Don't despise the small victories. Maybe you were overcome, overcome by a sin right now, but how many times did you resist that same temptation before you gave into it? Celebrate those. Celebrate the desire to overcome that temptation. Right? What ways are you victorious in your life? When did you pray when you didn't want to? When did you read your Bible when you wanted to take a nap? When did you want to escape but you stayed involved? Right? Instead of always focusing on all that you've done wrong, focus on the things you've done right. Celebrate your victories. Because rarely are things as bad as they seem. And then finally, connect with God daily. Make it an absolute matter of priority. Spend time praising God in prayer. Right? Don't start with, woe is me, God, help. Start with praising God for His greatness, His goodness, and His grace. Start by thanking God for the list that you have of the things that He has done and is doing in your life. Read the Psalms and realize you're not alone. The people in the Psalms were discouraged. They were overwhelmed. And they focused on God and it helped them come out. Sing songs of praise. You don't have to sing good. You can go by yourself. But there is something powerful, helpful, encouraging about singing songs out loud to God. Make connecting with God a priority in your life every day. And I'm not promising you that these are four easy steps to overcoming discouragement and never to face it again. That's not real. But these are ways to defend yourself against being overcome by discouragement. These are ways to fight it when it enters into your life. And in my experience, doing these things 
always helps. Always helps. Stop listening to Satan and start focusing on God. Let's stand as our musicians come.